Second Kings chapter 9. We didn't finish last week, but God willing, today we will finish Second Kings chapter 9. And we'll read, uh, picking up at verse 14, but our text will be verses 25 through the end, but we'll pick it up at 2 Kings 9.14. So Jehu, the son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshi, conspired against Joram. Now Joram, with all Israel, was defending Ramoth-Gilead against Hazael, king of Aram. But King Aram had returned to Jezreel to be healed of the wounds which the Arameans had inflicted on him when he fought with Hazael, king of Aram. So Jehu said, If this is your mind, then let no one escape or leave the city to go tell it in Jezreel. Then Jehu rode in a chariot and went to Jezreel, for Joram was lying there. Ahaziah, king of Judah, had come down to see Joram. Now the watchman was standing in the tower in Jezreel, and he saw the company of Jehu as he came, and said, I see a company. And Joram said, Take a horseman and send him to meet them, and let him say, Is it peace? So a horseman went to meet him and said, Thus says the king, Is it peace? And Jehu said, What have you to do with peace? Turn behind me. And the watchman reported the messenger came to them but did not return. Then he sent out a second horseman who came to them and said, Thus says the king, Is it peace? And Jehu answered, What have you to do with peace? Turn behind me. The watchman reported, he came even to them, and he did not return. And the driving is like the driving of Jehu, the son of Nimshi, for he drives furiously. Then Joram said, get ready. And they made his chariot ready. Joram, king of Israel, and Ahaziah, king of Judah, went out each in his chariot. And they went out to meet Jehu and found him in the property of Naboth the Jezreelite. Where did they find him? In the property of Naboth, the Jezreelite. Verse 22. When Joram saw Jehu, he said, Is it peace, Jehu? And he answered, What peace? So long as the harlotries of your mother, Jezebel, and her witchcrafts are so many. So Joram reigned about and fled and said to Ahaziah, There is treachery, O Ahaziah. And Jehu drew his bow with his full strength and shot Joram between his arms. And the arrow went through his heart, and he sank in his chariot. Then Jehu said to Bidkar, his his officer, Take him up and cast him into the property of the field of Naboth the Jezreelite. For I remember when you and I were riding together after Ahab his father, that the Lord laid this oracle against him. Surely I have seen yesterday the blood of Naboth and the blood of his son, says the Lord, and I will repay you in this property, says the Lord. Now then, take and cast him into the property according to the word of the Lord. When Ahaziah the king of Judah saw this, he fled by way of the garden house, 
And Jehu pursued him and said, shoot him, shoot him too. Shoot him too in the chariot. So they shot him at the ascent of Gur, which is at Iblim, but he fled to Megiddo and died there. Then his servants carried him in a chariot to Jerusalem and buried him in his grave with his fathers in the city of David. Now in the eleventh year of Joram, the son of Ahab, Ahaziah became king over Judah. Verse 30. When Jehu came to Jezreel, Jezebel heard of it. And she painted her eyes and adorned her head and looked out of the window. As Jehu entered the gate, she said, Is it well, Zimri, your master's murderer? Then he lifted up his face to the window and said, Who is on my side? Who? And two or three officers looked down at him. He said, Throw her down. So they threw her down. And some of her blood was sprinkled on the wall and on the horses, and he trampled her underfoot. When he came in, he ate and drank, and he said, See now to this cursed woman and bury her, for she is a king's daughter. They went to bury her, but they found nothing more of her than the skull and the feet and the palms of her hands. Therefore they returned and told him, and he said, This is the word of the Lord which he spoke by his servant Elijah the Tishbite, saying, In the property of Jezreel the dogs shall eat the flesh of Jezebel, and the corpse of Jezebel will be as dung on the face of the field in the property of Jezreel. So they cannot say, This is Jezebel. What a shocking story that we consider in Second Kings chapter 9. Last week we considered there's four basic sections of this chapter. Jehu is anointed by Elisha or his representative. Joram is killed by Jehu. Ahaziah is killed by Jehu. And then also at the end here, of course, Jezebel was killed by Jehu. We also noted that five times we read the words, thus says the Lord. The emphasis of this chapter, and our title was Jehu, the, the Avenger of God, and that'll be part two today, but this is really God at work punishing his enemies. And five times, thus says the Lord. It's not about Elisha. It's not really about Jehu. It's about the Lord who was going to punish his enemies. Thus he anointed Jehu, who was not of royal lineage. And after he did, well, also to note, he would be king for 28 years. He had a very long reign with much blood. He was commanded by God to go and strike God's enemy, the house of Ahab, and his wife Jezebel. And we noted that, again, the Lord is the avenger of his people. And if you want to this afternoon, you can go back and read 1 Kings 21, which is the, the backstory where this all began. And God says in 1 Kings 21, 21, and 22, I will, I will, I will, I will. That was God's purpose to do this. And 
that's how we should view it. Also, just to remind ourselves, what what caused this great judgment? It was the idolatry, but ultimately it was when Ahab coveted the vineyard of who? What was the guy's name? Naboth. Naboth, the Jezreelite. And we mentioned Jezreel and Naboth's vineyard several times, which is a key part of this story. So he coveted that vineyard because he wanted to plant a garden. And his wife said, well, I'll take care of it for you. Jezebel told him, and she framed Naboth by getting these wicked men to come in and say he cursed God. And they took him out, and apparently his sons, and stoned him and stole the land. All because of coveting, these are the wicked results that we see. Yes, idolatry is involved, but the the coveting and the murder of Naboth and his sons and the stealing of that property are what leads to this more than a decade later in our story. So keep that in the back of your mind as you think about God's judgment and how serious he takes sin. It was all over coveting. Uh, A couple notes here. We, We mentioned in verse 14 that Jehu conspired against Joram. Conspire is when he spoke to the others and said, let's do this. He made a plan. And the word is literally to bind together, to join together. So he was conspiring with the other Israelites on what he was going to do. And then we find Joram and Ahaziah just coming back from the battle in, in, um, uh, the Ramoth Gilead, and they were fighting that king um, that we read about in the previous chapter. And they're back in, out of the frying pan and into the fryer. They were had one war. Now they're coming back to be murdered. It was a mess. We noted, woe unto those who seek peace when their lives call for punishment. Peace, peace. And we'll even see something similar out of the mouth of Jezebel at the end. We noted his character, uh, which is summed up later, that he was evil. He did some good uh, in God's hands, but he he was still an idolater himself. That's Jehu. And then we noted some things about Jezebel, and we'll see more about her today. So much for our review, and I did not type out the the lessons because there's only four. So maybe you have last week's and you can jot them down. As a side note, I wanted to mention a point about Naboth's vineyard. Uh, Numbers 36.7 says, No inheritance of the sons of Israel shall be transferred from one tribe to tribe, for the sons of Israel shall each hold to the inheritance of the tribe of his fathers. So, Naboth was forbidden to give that land to another tribe, and it seems clear that Ahab was from a different tribe than Naboth. So the land is really key here, and, and we, we have to note that as we read through it. And he was obeying God. Naboth obeyed God by not giving his land to Ahab. So not only did he commit murder when um, Naboth was killed, but this land was not to be given to another tri- another tribe. God had forbidden it. Well, then, continuing in verses 25 and 26, we see Jehu speaking to his officer, maybe the lead man in the chariot. And after uh, he had 
shot Joram in the back as he was fleeing. That's what it seems like, square in the back, right through his heart. He said, take him up and cast him. Where does he cast him? Into the property of the field of Naboth, the Jezreelite. That's important. The very place that Ahab uh, sto- the place that Ahab stole with the help of his wife is the place where Ahab's son, his body, is thrown. The field of Naboth, the Jezreelite. He says, for I remember when you and I were riding together against Ahab, his father. You see, Jehu and his fellow chariot men, they had fought with Ahab. And he was there when, when these things were happening. He remembered it, and he remarks as such. Again, it was at least 10 years earlier that this happened. But he remembered what he saw and what he heard the prophet of God, Elijah, say. He repeats it, that the Lord laid this oracle against him. Surely I have seen yesterday, that was just the day prior, 12 years or so earlier when Naboth was murdered, God was speaking the following day, so follow that. I have seen yesterday the blood of Naboth and the blood of his son, says the Lord. Now, we don't have record of that in First Kings, but it seems that he also killed the sons of Naboth so that they would not rise up and say, this is our inheritance, and they there was no one to speak up for this land. So not only Naboth was killed, but the blood of his sons, says the Lord, and I will repay you in this property. That's God speaking. I will repay you in this property, says the Lord. Now then take and cast him into the property according to the word of the Lord. Ahab and his sons, and here Joram, was punished by God, and his dead body was thrown in the field where Naboth and his sons were killed. Why? Because God was executing vengeance against his enemies for what they had did to his servants. And note when you read it again, in this property, the property of Naboth, the Jezreelite, God said in 1 Kings, have you murdered and also taken possession? So murder plus the land grab, which was forbidden. Lesson one. The Lord's judgment may be delayed, but it's never deleted. Twelve years. Now Ahab was uh, killed, of course, and had died, and his the, the dogs licked up his blood in his chariot. But God said, I will punish you and your sons. And God delayed the punishment of his sons for some time because Ahab had some type of outward repentance. So 12 years later, the Lord's judgment may be delayed, but it's never deleted. Remember what God said when he proclaimed his name to Moses in Exodus 34. The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate, gracious, abounding in loving kindness, slow to anger, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. Yet, he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the grandchildren to the third and fourth generation Noting those words, he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. There was a delay of 12 years. Maybe Joram thought, I'm good to go. Nothing has happened so far. Well, God had to complete his punishment for 
not only the sins that Joram had himself, but what his father had done before him. We do cry, how long, O Lord? How long? And even when we read about Elijah and he was grieving at what Jezebel had done and the other prophets, how they had killed prophets, and really God's appointment of Jehu way back in First Kings was a response to this, how long, O Lord? They're killing your prophets. And God would delay it, but he would not delete it. And that's sobering. It's sobering that God will punish his enemies. Surely, in hell, their sin is dealt with or on the cross. And we rejoice, even as we'll observe the Lord's Supper today, that our treacheries and our harlotries were dealt with on the cross so that we don't have to go to hell. We see the wrath of God in these stories. Well, Jehu not only had the target of Joram, but he had another target, verse 27. When Ahaziah, king of Judah, saw what had happened, he fled. So Joram had fled and was shot in the back. Ahaziah, he fled by way of the garden house around maybe the palace or even this, the palace was next to Naboth's vineyard. So whether it's a garden house in the vineyard or around the palace that's all in that area. He fled by that way. And Jehu pursued him and said, shoot him too in the chariot. He's telling his archers, shoot him. So they shot him and he gives this location, which we don't know much about, at the ascent of Gur, which is at Iblim. But he fled to Megiddo and died there of his wounds. He was shot by an arrow or arrows and fled and died. Now, if you know your Bible history well, you can uh, compare with Second Chronicles 22. There's a bit of a challenge because there it says Ahaziah was hiding in Samaria and they put him to death. And there's different theories about that. Um, but we have to be honest and, and there's some challenging text. So you can look that up later. But here, clearly, he died. He was killed. He was assassinated by Jehu and his forces. The arrows were flying, and he traveled about 10 miles from Jezreel to Megiddo to the west, and he died. Now, why did he die? Um, because he was an idolater as well, and he had a relation to Ahab because his mother was who? Not not Jezebel, their daughter, Athaliah. And we're going to see a lot more about her to come. Ahaziah followed the way of his mother, Athaliah, the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel. Second Chronicles 22.7 adds, Now the destruction of Ahaziah was from God. So God, again, was punishing his enemies for what they had done and for their idolatry. And here Ahaziah was destroyed from God. So thinking about this character, Ahaziah, who was not, in some sense, as wicked as Joram, Jehoram, his uncle. He was not quite as wicked. So we, we could generally think of this 
lesson, beware of thinking that you'll escape God's wrath by not being as bad as those around you. He might have thought, well, I've done some good things. I've only been king for a year so far. I'm I'm safe. I'm good to go. Um, I doubt he expected to get what he received from God. Beware of thinking you'll escape God's wrath by not being as bad as those around you. He wasn't as bad as Jehoram. He wasn't as bad as Ahab or uh, Jezebel, his maternal grandmother, or even his his mother was much worse than him, as far as we know. So he may have thought, I may, I may get through this. No. He was destroyed and killed by God because he also was wicked. And he was a descendant of Ahab and followed in the way of his mother, Athaliah. Also, he might have said, well, my grandfather was Jehoshaphat. He was a godly man. I have this long lineage of godly people. My mom and dad, they are diligent Christians. They are uh, in the church. They read their Bible. Um, I don't drink, smoke, or cuss. I'm not that bad. Um, Well, unless you are born again, you will experience the wrath of God. Don't think I'm not as bad as so-and-so. I didn't do what my neighbors did, or I have this good lineage. No. Unless you repent, you will Likewise, perish. Even a little sin will land you in hell. A little false religion is deadly. This man mixed, and all these people were mixing true religion with false, which the result is false religion. It's very serious what we believe and then what we do with it. That's why we run to Christ, the wrath bearer. Well, Ahaziah was put to death, verses 28 and 29. Then his servants carried him in a chariot to Jerusalem, the capital of the southern kingdom of Judah, and buried him in his grave with his fathers in the city of David. He couldn't say, I have David as my as my great-great-great-great-grandfather. He was punished by God. He was destroyed by God. Then now in the 11th year of Joram, the son of Ahab, Ahaziah, became king over Judah. It's summing up his life at the end. We would usually hear those, we'd want to hear those words at the beginning, but here it's a sum up at the end. And he was only king for less than one year, Ahaziah. Well, the final punishment that God brings begins in verse 30. When Jehu came to Jezreel, Jezebel heard of it, and she painted her eyes and adorned her head and looked out the window. Remember, Jezebel was the mother of Joram. Her son was just murdered by Jehu. And she was the maternal grandmother of Ahaziah. So Ahaziah was just killed. Remember who Jezebel was. She was the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians. And because of her, Ahab went to serve Baal and worshipped him. And he erected an altar for Baal and the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria. And Ahab also made the Asherah. She was very bad news for Israel. 
She was the epitome of wickedness, and she threw wood on the fire of Ahab's idolatry and led Israel into great sin and killed the prophets of God and the people of God. She was still living, or at least staying at this time, in this palace next to Naboth's vineyard, and maybe she had enjoyed food out of that very garden, and she had the owner of that field murdered. And for more than 10 years, she was probably delighting in the fruit of that stolen garden. Not for long. Not for much longer. It says that she put on her makeup. Ladies, makeup's been around a lot longer than 100 years. The commentators will give you all the details of the chemicals and the things that they put around their eyes like today and in many places to make the eyes appear larger is beautiful. She was getting herself ready. She was painting her eyes, putting on mascara, eyeshadow, whatever you call it, making her eyes, in her mind at least, beautiful. And she adorned her head. She got her hair ready. She put a crown or something on her head. She's very arrogant. She, to the very end, wants to look regal. She's very proud, this wicked queen of Israel. Verse 31, as Jehu entered the gate, coming into this palace structure, she said, Is it well, or is it peace, literally? Zimri, your master's murderer. She has a defiant tone to the man who just murdered her son and her grandson, and she surely suspects that he's coming to get her. Is it well? Is it peace? She defies him, and she calls him this name, Zimri. Zimri. Zimri was a king of Israel for about seven days. He attacked another. He was, he became king in first Kings 16. He also conspired. The same word that is used of Jehu, he was a conspirer. Well, Zimri also conspired and he became king in a coup when he killed uh, Elah, the king at that time. But his kingdom only lasts, lasted for seven days. So basically, Jezebel is saying, you're like Zimri. You think you've done a lot. You've killed my son and my grandson, but you're going to be like him. You only conspired and you're going to be dealt with and you're going to be gone in a few days. As a matter of fact, the man who killed her, excuse me, killed him, that is Zimri, was Jezebel's father-in-law, Amri. So she had been through this before, if you will, when Zimri uh, had a coup and killed Elah, and then Amri, the father-in-law of Jezebel, killed that man, actually attacked and attacked the city where he was, and he burned it to the ground, killing himself. So she is remembering this, and she titles Jehu, well, you're just like Zimri. You don't have a chance. You're going to be here for maybe six days and gone, reading between the lines. She is arrogant, which fits her picture from the beginning. Jehu does not speak to her. He does not recognize her. Maybe a rebuff. 
verse 32, he lifted up his face to the window, the place where apparently she was looking out or on the side of this palace. Who is on my side? Who? And two or three, it's interesting, two or three, two or three officials or eunuchs looked down at him. He calls for support among the palace officials. Word was surely spreading, hey, Jehu, he's taking, he's taking over. He, he's the new king of Israel. And, and they had to decide, well, apparently they probably hated her, um, especially if they were eunuchs, who knows. But they were ready. Maybe they just didn't want to die by the hand of Jehu. News travels quick. Whisper down the lane, right? <clears throat> Excuse me, verse 33. Jehu says, said, throw her down. She's saying, is it peace? You're like Zimri, your master's murder. He says, throw her down. So they threw her down and some of her blood was sprinkled on the wall and on the horses and he trampled her underfoot. They supported Jehu and they threw down wicked Jezebel from the upper level. You could read Psalm 610 for this picture and description. All of my enemies will be ashamed and greatly dismayed. They shall turn back. They will suddenly be ashamed. I believe Jezebel still thought she had a chance. But in seconds, she was cast down by the wrath and power of God at the hand of Jehu and these eunuchs or these officials that threw her off of the edge. She was suddenly and finally judged by God on this earth. Her arrogance was silenced by death. She not only died, but she died a bloody death. Her blood was splattered on the walls of the palace and on the horses below. Maybe she tumbled down against edges and then... She is laying on the ground and Jehu drives his chariot over her body. This is in the word of God. All because of the greed and murder and idolatry. This is God's wrath poured out, though 12 years later. Jehu rode over her in his chariot. Well, whether it's symbolic or celebratory, verse 34, Jehu, when he came in, he went into that palace and he ate and drank. Now, I don't know, is he just saying that, well, I'm the new king, I'm going into this palace, and um, or is it just a celebration to go and have a feast? Maybe he was just starving from all the, all the travels he'd been doing, 10 miles here, 10 miles there, back and forth killing and having people killed. Yet he, after he eats and drinks, he says, see now to this cursed woman and bury her, for she is a king's daughter. He was eating at Jezebel's table and Jezebel was being eaten by dogs. And he thus declared her a cursed woman. The cursed woman, it's the same Word used for all those curses in Deuteronomy. 
When you do this, you'll be cursed. When you do this, you'll be cursed. When you do this, you'll be cursed. She was a cursed woman for her murderous ways and her false worship. One author called her the evil genius. She was clever. She was very clever and successful in an earthly sense, and her schemes went on for surely a couple decades, at least 12 years since they had Naboth killed. Yet God would avenge the blood of his servants at the hand of Jezebel. God's hand is behind the hand of Jehu. Remember, Jehu is only the executioner of God, the avenger of God. He's the sword in God's hand to destroy Jezebel. It's interesting that he says, bury her, because as we'll hit in the next verse, their prophecy was she wouldn't be buried, but but we'll get to that in a moment. He also says, bury her for she is a king's daughter. Who was her father? It was Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians. I'm puzzled why he would, and maybe this, this phrase meant something else. She was the king of Israel's wife. She was the mother of two kings of Israel. But her father, the king of the Sidonians, was a wicked man, not an Israelite. Maybe it's just the political respect for a foreign power. It's unclear to me, but sort of a strange Maybe respectful. Uh, maybe I'm just surprised that Jehu is that concerned. But thinking about this phrase um, of the cursed woman, our curse can only be corrected by the cross of Christ. It's great that we have the Lord's Supper today. Even our text in Hebrews two nine about the work of Christ on the cross. Our curse can only be corrected by the cross of Christ. Without Christ, we're just like Jezebel. We are cursed. In Adam, we are cursed. But only the cross of Christ can deal with that curse. We cannot pay the price. We cannot get that righteous life that we need because we're in Adam unless we are in the second Adam and our sins are dealt with on the cross. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So here we see the problem. This woman was cursed because of her actions. We as well were cursed in Adam and by our own sins, but the the solution the 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 way to deal with that curse is the cross of Christ and that's good news and as we observe the lord's supper later this morning we can say thank you lord that you bore my curse that i am not on the verge of going to hell it is because of christ Otherwise, I'd be just like Jezebel and Ahab and Jehoram and Ahaziah and a lot more people to come. And the majority of the world. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. Jezebel may have been extremely wicked, but you don't have to be extreme in your wickedness to go to hell. But we thank God that Christ became a curse for us. That's good news. Reflecting on the 
cursed nature of this woman Jezebel. Verse 35. Jehu said to bury her. They went to bury her, but they found nothing more of her than the skull and the feet and the palms of her hands. She was judged by God for her great evils against the people of God. The prophecy and the proclamation was by God, none shall bury her for there would be nothing left. Nothing left at all except a skull, the feet, and the palms of her hands. Sobering. Verse 36. Therefore, they returned and told him, and he said, Jehu said, This is the word of the Lord, which he spoke by his servant Elijah the Tishbite. So remember who who had Jehu anointed? Elisha. Now he's referring back to Elijah, all because of Naboth's murder. God spoke by his servant Elijah the Tishbite, saying, In the property of Jezreel, the dog shall eat the flesh of Jezebel, and the corpse of Jezebel will be as dung on the face of the field in the property of Jezreel. So they cannot say, this is Jezebel. It's what we might call poetic justice. Right where it all happened, right where she connived and had Naboth murdered her own body, she was not only killed, but she was she was devoured by dogs. And dogs were unclean, and the Jews, uh, of course, were abhorred by them, and now the dogs ate her flesh completely. Lesson four, God's judgment is terrible both on earth and in eternity. This is a snapshot of God's wrath, of God's judgment. It's terrible. It's grievous. It's it's almost disgusting. But it's shocking to see how God views these sins, the sins of idolatry, the sins of coveting, the sins of murder, the sins of conniving, Some things in the Bible are are done once and not to be repeated because they should get our attention and God did certain things once or twice and we should remember them and be sobered about sin. This woman Jezebel went from doing her makeup and her hair to not even having a head to have hair on. She went from putting on mascara to being manure. It was a shocking undoing of her supposed beauty to being nothing more than dung in the field. Fertilizer. God's judgment is terrible, both on earth and in eternity. Listen to Hebrews chapter 10. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. We don't play, even with the Lord's Supper, we're warned. We don't play with God or the things of God. It's serious business. We will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We must be sincere and have a good conscience and submit and confess our sins to God. 
The fear of God, as Tom has reminded us many times, it's that awe and alarm. That's not all of our Christian and religious experience. It's delighting and, and tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. But there's also a place when we read about the punishment of Jezebel that we have awe and alarm. She heard from the prophets of God. She was married into the Israelite family. There were other women in the Old Testament who became godly. She pulled away the people of God from the true God. As she was going down, she may have, I doubt it, but um, she may have had those words that we read in Revelation 6, hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. We see the wrath of God on sin, the sin of Jezebel, the sin of Ahaziah, the sin of Joram, the sin of Ahab. We see his great punishment Did you realize that we have nearly 20 chapters in the Bible from 1 Kings all the way to 2 Kings about the sins and the wickedness of Ahab and Jezebel and their children and their punishment? Almost 20 chapters. It's shocking. And we have two of our favorite prophets, Elijah and Elisha, dealing with and calling them to repentance and advising and directing Yet it's this dynasty uh, of Ahab and his children and the punishments that God would have 20 chapters revolving around these families. It's sobering, especially when you consider that this queen mother, her great influence, and we see God judging her, and we'll have the next chapter. You can even see that if you have titles in your Bible, judgment upon Ahab's house. He had 70 sons or descendants. The bloodletting will continue. We'll have Jehu, the avenger of God, part three, because God is punishing the sins of his people. Very sobering. In review, we had just four lessons today. We noted that the Lord's judgment may be delayed, but it's never deleted. It will come. And you can read Psalm 50 where judgment was delayed and God said, you thought that I was just like you. Because judgment is delayed, sinners can become arrogant. But delayed judgment is not deleted judgment. Second, beware of thinking that you'll escape God's wrath by not being as bad as those around you. Ahaziah was not as bad as Jehoram. Jehoram was not as bad as Ahab, yet they were judged by God. Third, our curse can only be corrected by the cross of Christ. Praise you, Lord, that we're not cursed like Jezebel. We're blessed because Christ became the curse for us. And finally, God's judgment is terrible, both on earth and in eternity. Sobering words to get a clear picture of our God and we see the necessity of the cross to deal with and that God's wrath would be soaked up and propitiated for our sins, for the curse that we receive from Adam and even our own sins. We thank God. Let's conclude with prayer. Our Father, we thank you that you did send your son to bear 
the curse, the punishment. He became a curse for us. Thank you, Lord, that you delivered us from being like Ahab and Jezebel. Lord, what a warning, what a glimpse of your wrath we see, though temporary and momentary, really nothing compared to your eternal wrath in hell, in the lake of fire. We thank you, Lord, that you had such a great plan of salvation, that Christ became the surety, that Christ died. We thank you for his cross work on our behalf. Lord, may we be warned. May we exalt you as the true God who alone is to be worshipped. You are a jealous God. So, Father, may we come even a bit more sobered and having a fear of God, yet a delight and joy to run to you, our refuge. We thank you for your word, which guides us and instructs us. And Lord, would sinners even be warned and run to Christ today? We thank you in his name. Amen.